2: Was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We are uh, a week removed from Resurrection Sunday, and uh, already things are starting to get back to normal, right? Uh, That's kind of what happens, isn't it? Uh, The world changes and then it drifts back into same old, same old in some ways. That's why I love this story that we'll spend some time uh, with this morning. Uh, Have you ever um, had something huge happen and you just miss it? Right? Like you show up for, for a wedding after it's over. Or or something like that, you know. You know, it's just like, well, something ha- here happened, but I I, I no, yeah, I got nothing. So we have that we have that scenario today, and you know where I'm going with this. Um, with with personally, I probably shouldn't, but I have favorites among the disciples, and Thomas, the guy we'll talk about this morning, is my favorite because he and I have so much in common. We're the Eor uh, <laughs> disciples. You y- all know what I mean by Eeyore? So so. Thomas only shows up three times in, in the Gospel of John, and every time he does exactly what I would do if I were him. So he's, he's my guy. Uh, the first time is uh, centered around the story of the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, which um, you, you'll recall, John chapter 11 is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus, but at, at the time when the story starts to unfold, Jesus and his disciples. Have been chased out of Judea by the hostility of the Jewish leaders, and have uh, decided to go on to the, the 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 far side of the Jordan River, where they're outside of the jurisdiction of the Jewish leaders uh, centered in Jerusalem. So, so Jesus and the disciples are there, uh, and word comes uh, that Lazarus, one of Jesus's best friends, is sick to the point of death, and you, you can you can feel the tension rise in in the disciples because, you know, they know Jesus enough to know that if anybody, if he's going to go and move and there's a little bit of excitement, we may get to see another miracle, but at the same time, we might die. Miracle die, Miracle die. And so they're kind of relieved when Jesus doesn't do anything. He stays there for a couple of days. At least this is my, my 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 imagination. And then after a couple of days when Lazarus is good and dead, he decides that he's going to go to Bethany where where Lazarus uh, uh, was now buried. And it's like, Jesus, what you you could have done some good when 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 but now, I mean, what's the point putting ourselves in the crosshairs of these guys who are antagonistic to us? This is not going to turn out well. And the other guys are just kind of arguing, and Jesus makes, his, makes it clear that he's going with, with or without him. And Thomas is the guy that says, well, we might as well just go and die with him. <laughs> that's Thomas, that's that guy, right? And so, and so, so they, they go and you, you, you know the story. Second time we hear uh, of Thomas, uh, is just a few chapters before where we are uh, tonight, uh, uh, today rather, uh, a week and, a, half, week and a, a day or so ago, on a Thursday night. They're in the upper room. Jesus is uh, um, washing the disciples' feet. He is literally pouring out his heart, his life, his vision, his love for them. He is saying powerful last words, last will testament kinds of things like like if you were sitting at the at the at the at the bedside of, of, of a dear friend who you would hang on every word right and that's what's happening through through these three or four chapters until he gets to chapter 14 where he makes it clear that he's going to leave and already you know you the, the guys are starting to get a little antsy about this what do you mean you're going to leave how, how can this and he's trying to don't don't let your heart be troubled you believe in God believe in me and then he uses the words that every bridegroom had used in Israel to say to his his disciples his church his bride if I go and prepare a place I'm going don't be afraid if, if you believe I'm going to go to prepare a place for you in my father's house there's plenty of room for y'all and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come back, I'll receive you to myself. Uh, and and, and he, he uses just these eloquent, beautiful words. And 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 you know, you know where I'm going. You, you know the way that I'm going. And there's where we hear Thomas again. Uh excuse me, Jesus. We we don't we don't know where you're going. And 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 we don't know how to get there. Uh, he's that guy he's that guy right i don't know if any of you I, I, I teach primarily for a living and and i got i've got a guy like that in every one of my classes you know if you're if you've if you've been in college you've been you know that there's that guy right there, and every once in a while it doesn't happen often but every once in a while i'm starting i'm really kind of in the groove you know what I mean if you 've been a teacher you know what i'm talking you're in the groove and you're just kind of Feeling the flow and, and, and the spirit is and, oh, just wonderful, wonderful words of life just flowing, right? And then there's a the guy. Uh, will, will this be on the exam? <laughs> just he's Thomas is that guy. He's the guy right in the middle of this wonderful. Yeah, we don't know where you're going. It's because Thomas asked that question that we now know that Jesus is the way. The truth, and the life. Oh, thanks, Thomas. You asked exactly the right question. That we needed the answer to, but too afraid to ask. He's that guy. So here we are, number three. And I don't know if he's out on a bagel run, <laughs> or or he's scoping out Jerusalem. I, we don't we we don't know. We don't know, but but here we are. And so we'll pick up the story here now. um, A week after Resurrection Sunday, which he, as it turns out, missed. So here it comes. On that day, on evening of that first day of the week, so now we're a week ago, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, "'Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you.' And with that, he breathed on them and said, "'Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven.'" If you do not forgive them they are not forgiven now Thomas called Didymus one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the Lord and Thomas said unless I see the nail marks in his hands put my finger where the nails were put my hand into his side I will not believe it a week later His disciples were in the house again and Thomas this time was with them. And again, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. Then Jesus told him, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Um, I think you probably know that. Oops, sorry about that. Um, there's a lot here that we can't talk about. Uh, it's just too 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 much. Uh, but I want to talk through bits and pieces of this uh, as 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 we go. The first thing I I, I want you to notice is that they're gathered together on that evening of that first day and and they're they're gathered in fear. They're gathered in fear. And the thing that I want to just kind of sow a seed because uh, this is something that became clearer to me as I was praying through this even this morning is that um, sometimes fear is the occasion of encounter. Sometimes fear is the occasion of encounter. Remember, this is is where we've been over the last few weeks in this encounter series. What happens when people uh, meet meet God and and what happens to the trajectory of their lives after that intersection of their life with God's? And in this particular case, uh, the disciples are gathered and the first thing that is said about them, notice is that they are afraid. They're afraid for their own lives. They're afraid. And that fear then becomes the platform, becomes the foundation of encounter. Now, now we who know the story and have found ourselves, at least I've found myself sometimes saying, how come they didn't get it? How did they not hear Jesus? Because he told them over and over and over again, this is what's going to happen. I'm going I'm to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. How come they, What? how did that not get, through to them, and the truth is, there's Jesus saying a lot of stuff to me all the time that I miss. Any, anybody else? And, and, and so, uh, uh, okay, maybe, maybe they can get off the hook for this one, but, but I, th- I think through this, had they been maybe paying attention, like sometimes I think we need to, they might have, instead of being paralyzed in fear through that Sabbath, have recognized something is going on there. Because remember, they're trapped in Jerusalem by the Sabbath day. They can't travel on Sabbath. So the crucifixion of Jesus took place on Friday night. If they'd had a choice, and uh, they would have been out of town f- first thing Saturday morning. But Sabbath intervenes, and now they're stuck. They can't travel. As it turns out, Luke tells us, as soon as the dawn cracked on Sunday morning, two of them were on their way back to Emmaus. So, so the, the, the push to get out of town is pretty strong. But these guys are, are trapped in Sabbath uh, and, and trapped in Jerusalem by Sabbath. But maybe if they'd been paying attention or remembered, and uh, um, this isn't with judgment because I miss a lot, as I'm sure maybe you do too, they might have recognized in the words that Jesus spoke on the cross an echo of what Father God had spoken. So so back here on the the last day of creation, Genesis chapter 2, the text reads that God finished all his work and rested on the Sabbath. And that Sabbath, following the rest, served as the foundation, the platform for the eighth day of the rest of human history. So the Sabbath was a buffer between the finished work of creation and the new work that is built on that creation. Maybe they would have recognized in the finishing of the work of creation, Jesus' language as on the cross, one of the seven last words he said was, It is finished, it is finished. This work of new creation is finished. And so instead of Sabbath being what it was, a place of fear, perhaps it might have become an incubation for the new. But they, like us, perhaps weren't paying attention or hadn't made the connection or didn't know how to get from death to life, through the place of stillness. So here they were, gathered in this upper room, this familiar place of meeting, the first day of the week, the doors locked because they were afraid. The one thing I want to underline is that for those of you who may be struggling with this kind of fear right now, it's important that you still show up. Because the, 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 the temptation, isn't it, with fear is to run. And here are these guys. They're afraid, but they still show up. Can you imagine the courage required to continue to assemble even though they're afraid? To stay in the game, as it were, even though they weren't sure if there was any more game left to stay in. So that's the one word that I want to just underline. If, for those of you who are dealing with fear of one kind or another, the, the, the way forward may involve just showing up and being present in the dark. The fear and the chaos and the confusion of that Saturday might well give way to the revelation, to that window of opening that fear opens up for us. I'm really convinced that fear is often the place of encounter with Christ if we don't run. So when Jesus goes, does come, doors, windows being locked, he appears to them. He is present in the room. Notice what he says. He says, peace be to you. And you recognize this probably is the typical Jewish greeting of Shalom. Shalom is, is a word that is, is um, uh, about wholeness, about completion. He is, he, is, he is, in a way, literally saying, it'll be okay. Everything is, everything is going to be okay. Shalom is the way things were meant to be. is the, is the way life was meant to be, to be lived. And I, I think it's important that we recognize that nothing has changed in their external circumstances. Nothing has changed. They are still at risk. They are still... Under the gun, they're still in the crosshairs of the Jewish leadership. So nothing has changed. In fact, their fear has not yet abated. All they hear is, it'll be okay. What makes it okay in the place of fear, even though nothing external has changed, is the real presence of Jesus. When he is with you in the place of fear, in the place of confusion and chaos, not only it, but you will be okay. Now please notice, you might die. (laughs) Right? Now, had you been paying attention, you would have noticed that that's not a problem anymore. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. He who is the resurrection and the life comes to us in the middle of our most crippling fear and says, Shalom. It'll be okay, you'll be okay. And their response, as you might imagine, is to rejoice when they saw him after he showed his, I'm sorry, Darren, back up one more, I forgot I needed to say one more thing here. You'll notice he shows them his hands inside. This is really important. John's Gospel, as you know, uh, or maybe don't, but will within minutes, Um, was written at the tail end of the first century, 95 to 100 or so uh, A.D. And other than the other three Gospels that were written about 25, 30 years earlier, uh, at the end of the first century, there was already beginning to bubble up um, what would within the next 50 to 100 years become known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that, uh, among other things, that matter Material nature is evil, bad, and that spirit is pure and good. Uh, And and while I say it that quickly, uh, you may not make the connection, so let me underline what John saw coming. Paul also saw it, but John particularly saw this beginning to bubble up. If nature, if matter, if the material world is evil, then we don't have the incarnation anymore. Because here the Word, the Spirit, became flesh and dwelt among us. If if matter, if flesh is evil, that can't have happened. And John recognizes that the Christian doctrine of incarnation is at risk here with this incipient, this beginning, this Gnosticism in seed form. So he pushes back against it. If you read the Gospel of John with that awareness of Gnosticism in the background, a lot of things make sense. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of everything that makes God, God, grace and truth. That's why he says that. But not only is incarnation at risk, resurrection is at risk. Because if matter, if flesh is evil, we'll just leave it in the grave while pure spirit escapes. So what does Jesus do in the Gospel of John to demonstrate that his body was raised from the dead? He shows them his hands, his side. This body that yesterday was in the grave, that the day before that was hung on a cross, that body is this body. It's adapted to the new life of the kingdom as yours will be upon your resurrection, but it is still connected to that body. Body matters. It's not evil. It's redeemed. He shows them his hands and his side and invites them into the wonder that they cannot yet fully understand. They're overjoyed. So as you can imagine, when the next thing happens, that joy is bubbling over. Go ahead with the next one, Darren. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me. Listen to this. This is outrageous. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you the same mission that god sent jesus on that the father sent jesus on is the same mission that he is sending the disciples on and what is that mission to save the world to save the world and he knows that they will need the incarnate presence of the Trinity with them to enable them to accomplish that outcome. So what does he do? He breathes on them and the, 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 the symbolism here is so rich and powerful, you know that the word spirit here, uh, pneuma is the same word in Greek for breath or spirit. So he breathes, he spirits on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that same spirit that enabled Jesus in his mission is the same spirit that will enable the church, the disciples in their mission, that will enable you in your mission. You need the Holy Spirit in the same way that Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission that the Father sent him on to accomplish the mission that Jesus sends you on. And it gets even more outrageous than that. Look at what he says receive the Holy Spirit, if you forgive anyone, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, we're not gonna do a show of hands. But how many think Jesus didn't know what he was talking about here? He must have been talking to somebody else. We're not gonna do a show of hands, maybe just a shrug of the, sh- of the left shoulder. We're gonna, we're gonna vote, Jesus, you're nuts. Because this, this, be, this can't be true. Who is it that has power on earth to forgive sins? It's only God who can do this. And, and what's he, what is he doing? He is authorizing this, us, because I, frankly, even though I don't know what he's talking about, I think he knows what he's talking about. And I think he means what he says. That as a result of the impartation of the spirit, guess who it is who lives in us? It is God who spoke the universe into being by his spirit, who indwells us, who Enables us by that same spirit to say to people, to say to people, your sins are in fact forgiven. To forgive people their sins, the God who is in us. Not in some kind of a pantheistic, God is in everything kind of, kind of a dynamic, but the personal work of the Holy Spirit enables us to become the kinds of people who can be trusted with this outrageous message that the father of the universe is not angry, that he is forgiving. that There is a place for all of his children at the table, get home in time for dinner. And this is the mission that Jesus was sent on. It's the mission that we are sent on. It is the spirit who empowers us in this. It is the spirit who trains us in this. How many of you all know you need some training in this? Because frankly, this is not my strong suit. It might be yours, but there's some people I don't want to forgive. There's some people that I think need to fry. It's not a long list. Well, actually, it's getting longer, but, but you know how it is. Anybody else on that same thing? There's some, there's some people that I want. All you got to do is watch, watch the news feed. I want people who slaughter 170 of my brothers and sisters in Kenya. I want them to pay for that. Right? Apparently, I'm not quite ready to stand in the mission of Jesus who hanging on the cross said about those perpetrators, Father, forgive them. That's outrageous. Can I trust you with that message? He's saying you're going to need the Holy Spirit to get there. So I'm giving you the spirit. But this, you gotta know, this is the end game. This is where this is going. I want you to become the kinds of people that I can trust to fulfill this mission. Revenge, you don't need any training in that at all. (laughs) Forgiveness, that'll take a week or two. (laughs) Right? Or more. He wants to invite us into this. And empower us and then train us in forgiveness. So that we can be trusted to be his ambassadors. Not of the judgment of other people's sins. But of the forgiveness of other people's sins. I don't want to become an expert in other people's sins. So he invites us into this. I'm pretty sure that the disciples had not much of a clue what he meant. But I'm guessing as the story unfolds, it becomes clearer and clearer. So they're overjoyed, but Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. I I just love this. It's one of my frustrations, though. I I, I wish the Holy Spirit would have thought to tell us, because he's the one who inspired all this stuff, right? I wish he would have thought to tell us what Thomas had better to do. Than, than witness the resurrection. I mean, and, I, and I'm thinking probably Thomas being the practical Eeyore realist that he was, was out scoping out the landscape. Maybe he was on a bagel run. Remember, leftovers from Thursday would have been gone by now. And so here, maybe he's out on a bagel run. Maybe he's, 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 he's checking out the opposition, trying to scope out the best way out of town. We don't know. All we know is that he is not there when the risen Christ appears to the disciples. So they, they tell him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And I love Thomas's response. What have you guys been smoking? What are you talking about? You've seen the Lord. What do you, uh, well, look, here, here look, look, go on, next, next slide. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my finger where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. I love Thomas. Anybody with him is like, are you kidding me? This can't happen. There's no place in my brain to file what you're telling me as being true. And he is not cowed by an 11 to one majority. He has taken them all on. They have been all wrong before. Thomas is not going to be dragged down the drain of their delusion in this moment. And there's the second point that I wanted to make in this. Please notice that doubt is often the back door to revelation. Doubt is often the back door to revelation, which is why Jesus is never bothered by our doubts. Just bring them. Just bring them. Now, you got to show up. You can't, you know, kind of put your doubts in your hissy fit and drive off. You, you, you got to show up and doubt long enough until you start to doubt your doubts. You got you to be there. Oh, and by the way, the community that you're in, I love this about those other guys. They didn't kick him out. They didn't shame him because of the, his doubts. They made room for Thomas despite his doubts. How many of you know inconvenient people? <laughs> Thomas is an inconvenient guy. He's raining on everybody's parade. Everybody else is party-hardy. We've seen the Lord. And Thomas is saying, really? 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 Every time? Every time? Really? Right? He's an inconvenient person. Can I just say, at the garden, we need to make room for inconvenient people because their doubt, often will be the back door to our understanding. Their questions will often be the back door to our awareness of things that we prior to that would never have become aware of, amen? So here we are, this, this, this um, inconvenient person doesn't leave, he continues to show up, they don't shun him, he's still there, so that a week later, his disciples are in the house again, and Thomas is with them, this time, through the do- though the doors are locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them again, it'll be all right, peace be with you. Everything's gonna be okay. Uh, then he said to Thomas, what? Yeah. And, I, and, and by the way, Jesus is not angry here. He's having fun with this. He's, he's got a smile on his face. He's got laughter in his voice. He's got a twinkle in his eyes. He's saying, Thomas, Look through the hole, bud. Stick your finger there. See? See this? Yeah, hand. What? Now, wait a minute. Where was Jesus when Thomas said this? Because remember, from Thomas's, Thomas's standpoint, he shows up, does his thing, peace be unto you. Then he goes away. Then Thomas comes in and says, Unless I see. Unless I put, right? So apparently, the risen Christ is available, present, listening, whether you see him or not, embracing of doubts with laughter. Oh, oh. Because resurrection means you're never alone again, ever in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the problem, in the middle of the darkest night of your doubt, you're not alone. So here this risen Christ, who is present without being seen, who can be seen when he wishes to be seen, is beginning to train his disciples in practical presence, without visibility, And he says to Thomas, I heard you, bud. And you can watch Thomas's face. If you have the split screen on, you can see the laughter in Jesus's eyes. And you can see the flush in Thomas's face as the red rises. Put your hands. Put your fingers. And in that moment, we need to learn something else. Please notice that Jesus' wounds were not healed. The whole still remains. This is really important because we want, don't we, we want our wounds to be healed. We want to be able to pass over that place in our memory again and not twinge. We want, we want all of that brokenness, all of that that pain, all of that, that that Stuff that we have done to ourselves or that others have done to us or that we have done to others. We want all of that to just go away. Surely resurrection means it'll be okay. And what I mean by that is it'll be completely healed. But what Jesus means by that is while there are some things that are gone away completely, there are other wounds that remain open so that the light of revelation can shine through. So that people who are in places of darkness, people who are in places of wounding similar to you can see through those wounds that are not healed but now become a vehicle of revelation. They can see the risen Christ in ways that they would never have been able to see had they not known you're wounded too. I don't understand this. I'm not the one who gets to choose, nor are you the one who gets to choose what gets healed and what remains open. All I know is I got to bring everything I got to Jesus. He gets to choose what gets healed and where I still walk with a limp. He gets to choose that. But when he makes that choice, it will not be to shame you, it will be because he wants to let the light of revelation shine through your brokenness, your woundedness, so that somebody who needs it can see it. And then we get the single clearest point of this whole story. It's just this line, my Lord and my God. Nobody else has said that in the Gospel of John, Thomas, through the back door of his doubt, has come to an awareness that standing before him is not just Mary's son, the little boy from the carpenter shop, but in fact, God. How do we put this all together? Well, I don't know. We know what we can't say, but this is the best we can say. Because here's the deal. There will come understanding of things of this nature only as you bring your doubts and keep walking. Only as you persist in following Jesus as his disciple awareness will come revelation will come understanding will come as you move not as you sit waiting for it as you follow in obedience clarity will come as you obey into tomorrow understanding will come on things that are critical for you to understand they won't come by getting here to church on Sunday they will come through service on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock. Does that make sense? There are things that you will understand about the way and work of God through following Him, through obedience that will never become clear if you make it a condition of following, if you make it a condition of obedience. It's on the way that revelation, that understanding will come. Does that make sense? So here we are invited. Here we are invited. Then Jesus finishes us off with this statement. Literally finishes us off with this statement. Because you have seen me, you have believed. We often think that he's saying this to Thomas. He is, but who's overhearing? All the rest of us in the room who believe why? because they saw and he is assuming here that thomas now will get the message in a way that the other ten have what did he do a week ago he breathed on them received the holy spirit then that resurrection turned into mission and what did they do with that new mission nothing they sat around We're sent on mission. Let's just wait in Jerusalem for another week or so. Thomas gets it. And notice what Jesus said. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How will they hear who have not seen? People like Thomas entering to belief through the back door of doubt empowered by the spirit will begin to bear witness to the people who have not seen and who will believe as a result of his mission. Church history, church tradition tells us that of all of the disciples, Thomas was the one who went the furthest away in mission. He ended up uh, buried on the southern, uh, in southern India. He took Jesus seriously took him seriously. Aren't you glad for doubt? Aren't you glad for fear? It's hard for us, isn't it? That's why I love a Savior who's not afraid of our fear, who encourages us to bring our doubts without shame, with welcome. Because through that door comes belief.
3: thoughts we need your spirit